So let me uh, begin with our scripture reading today, which is from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 through 39. And this is in your bulletin. And immediately he, referring to Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And this is the word of God. One of the things about growing older is the heightened awareness of how fragile everything is. Um, So many things are broken. So many things are deeply troubled. Hardly anything is as we want them to be. And since the start of this new year, since the beginning of January, uh, the individuals of IGC have seen relationships end. We've seen family members struck with disease. Bodies have been broken. Some of you have spent the majority of this year sick in January and February. Uh, I know several families are not here today because they are sick. Mental health has suffered. Hopes for your career or your family have been dashed. Some of us are still bitter and angry about the things that our church went through over the past couple years. And of course, this is speaking nothing of our country and of our world. If you keep up with the news, you know that things are not good. And I say these things not as a news reporter, because you already know, without me telling you, that there is so much turmoil in the world. And I say these things not as a doctor. You already know of the many diseases and illnesses that pervade your body and the bodies of those that you love. And I say this not as a counselor. You already know that things are wrong, either in yourself or in your relationships. And we all know, whether or not I say anything from this pulpit, that there's something seriously wrong about the way things are in the world. So why do I say these things that are so obvious? I say these things because I can be honest about the state of the world and of our lives. You did not come to church to hear an inspirational message and exchange pleasantries with acquaintances. I say these things because this is reality. And I say these things before our God because we as a church, we as a church should be able to say to him, God, here is our mess. Here are our hurts. Here are all our fears. Now, what will you do about it, God? What will you do about these things, Lord? And this question, the heart of this question is at the heart of what we see in today's passage in the book of Mark. In the passage, Jesus goes in with his first four disciples into the house of Simon. And the question they ask 
not with the words, but with their heart, is this. What will you do now, Lord? This is implicit in verse 30. We're told that they bring Jesus to Simon's mother-in-law. And what does Jesus do? He heals her. This is what Jesus did for this woman. And this is what Jesus will continue to do throughout his earthly ministry. And this is perhaps even something that Jesus will do for you and me. Jesus is a healer. And we're beginning a short series on the healings of Jesus from now until Easter Sunday. And Pastor Jesse and I, we will be going through the healings that are recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Our hope is that we will come to see and love Jesus as our healer. And we, and as we meditate on the healing aspect of Jesus' ministry, maybe we would dare to ask Him to heal us, whatever it may be in your life that needs it. The song we sang, Heal Us, Emmanuel. We long to feel your touch. This is a prayer that we can pray. And today, as we look at this passage from Mark chapter 1, I want us to consider the meaning of Jesus' healings and to understand what it means for us. So I have four, hopefully, short points that will help point us to that. Uh, number one is the Jesus that Jesus has authority to heal. Jesus has authority to heal. Number two, that Jesus can heal. And number three, Jesus chooses to he- Jesus chooses when to heal. And finally, Jesus will ultimately heal. Four points. Jesus has authority to heal. Jesus can heal. Jesus chooses when to heal. And Jesus will ultimately heal. So our first point is this, that Jesus has authority to heal. So here in the um, first century, in this region that Jesus ministers in, um, there are the religious leaders of the day, the the Sadducees and the the Pharisees, the most influential and respected teachers of the day. They never spoke from their own authority. They would say, well, the, the Torah says this. Moses said this. This is what the scriptures say. And they would speak and teach from these sources outside of themselves. But then Jesus comes along and he does not speak with the authority of scripture or of the prophets. He comes speaking his own words. He comes speaking with an authority that trumps anything that the Pharisees and Sadducees have to say. And it wasn't just the words of Jesus that carried his authority. He acted with his hands and with his feet, with his touch, with an authority. If we look at the passage prior to today's today's passage, um, there's this recording of Jesus casting out a demon from a man with authority. And to have authority for Jesus it means that he that those that come in contact with him they must submit to him so Jesus doesn't come as a political leader or a religious inspirational figure he comes as one with authority he doesn't come with principles for behavior he doesn't make suggestions Jesus comes with commands and what he says is what goes Jesus carries this authority but he carries it with a restraint. He carries it with a restraint. We don't see the full extent of his power until later on in the gospel. And even throughout his ministry, Jesus, one of the things you'll notice about Jesus is he always restrains himself. He always restrains himself. There is so much more that he could do. There's so much more that he could say, but he restrains himself for the sake of the situation, for the sake of the people around him. And this is what we see today. We see a glimpse of the authority of Jesus in today's passage as he heals, as he heals Simon's mother-in-law. 
and then the subsequent crowd. And I think this is the reason why we're given just enough information about Jesus and about his ministry to know that there's something much larger and much deeper at work, something far beyond what anyone could have predicted about this man, Jesus. As Jesus heals this woman, as he heals a crowd, what we see is a microcosm of the work that God is doing in the world. Simon's mother-in-law lay in bed with a fever. There was something wrong with her. Those who came to Jesus, came to the house seeking healing, there was something wrong with them. And the touch of Jesus heals them. And what we see in this is a small picture of what God is doing in the world. The world is sick unto death. Something must happen for it to be healed. This is the fall in Genesis. But what does God do when he sees something broken, when he sees something sick? He fixes it. He heals it. And this is what Jesus comes to do. These pictures of healing are a big, beyond these individual accounts, is a much larger story that God is telling that something is wrong, but God will do something about it. And he does something by sending his son, Jesus Christ. The world has fallen because of sin, and God will make it right. The fever of this woman in the home is symptomatic of the sin and destructive effects of it in the world, and God will do something about it. So this is the first thing, that Jesus comes with an authority, and he uses this authority to heal here in this passage in a small way. So that's the first point, Jesus has authority to heal. The second point is this, that Jesus can heal. So, of course, he sees the sickness of this woman, Simon's mother-in-law, and he heals her. And this is kind of the interesting thing is um, she had no idea that Jesus was coming. Her her son-in-law, the good old son-in-law, said, told Jesus, um, there's something that you need to do. And Jesus, will you do it? Jesus sees what is wrong and he heals her. She was completely passive in this whole event. What does she do actually? It's after she's healed. She says, she know, she realizes, oh, I should be a good host, hostess. Um, these people probably want refresh, refreshment snacks. This is what happens. And there's these little details in the gospels that just, there's the humanity, humanity of Jesus and those around him that come across. And this is what we see. And then the word gets around. Here is this man, Jesus, who has healed this woman who was deep in a fever. And of course, if you hear that there is something that can be done about your own sickness, you're going to want to go to this healer. So the crowd goes, and then we're told that Jesus, he heals these people. He spends hours and hours looking at this crowd with a love and compassion, and he heals them. There is a... a, a um, A story um, that C.S. Lewis wrote, this was um, The Magician's Nephew, and this is in the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. And um, there's just one character, his name is Diggory, and his, his mother is deathly ill. And, of course, as a good son, he is so concerned about his mother. He wants his mother to be healed, and he, know, he knows that there is Aslan. Aslan is the Christ figure in the story. And... And his main concern is, there are things I know that Aslan can do. I know that Aslan is powerful. I know that Aslan can do these things. But my main concern is my mother. And this is what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, this is uh, Diggory speaking, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? 
And then the story goes, up till then he had been looking at the lion's great feet and huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at his face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own. And wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. There were such big bright tears compared to Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. The great big lion crying great big tears for the one that was hurting. And in this, we see a picture of Jesus. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And we'll see this later in later on in Mark, um, where it's highlighted that Jesus had his compassion. And um, Jesse will probably preach on this. I'm going to steal his thunder a little bit. And let me talk about compassion for 30 seconds. Compassion means to, passion means suffer, come means with. Jesus suffers with the crowd. He feels their pain. There is an empathy and a sympathy. And not only does he feel it, he does something about it. But before the action comes the feeling. Jesus feels grief with those who grieve. Jesus feels pain with those who are experiencing pain. And this is what we see in the heart of Jesus. Not just that he can heal, but that he heals with a loving heart. With his authority, he blesses others. And if this is true, if this is true of Jesus, could it be true about our relationship with the Lord? Is Jesus some distant, far-off figure that we just read about and hear about on Sundays? Or is he a real person with real authority and real power? And could we dare ask God to work in seemingly hopeless situations There are situations where it seems like there is no hope, but there is no situation that God is not in the middle of. And maybe we can ask him to do work beyond what we can see. Jesus has authority to heal. Jesus can heal. Our third point is this. Jesus chooses when to heal. Jesus chooses when to heal. There's one um, one detail in this passage that uh, we can just pull out. It's this, that... Jesus doesn't preach in this passage. There's this huge crowd, and you would think that he would say something, but we're not given anything in the text. We don't know what Jesus said, but we know that he didn't preach. And it seems so anticlimactic. Why not keep going so that more people would hear about you, Jesus? Why not continue on? Why don't you say some words so that people, more people will come, so that your audience and your, your popularity will grow? Why doesn't Jesus do that? It's because Jesus is practicing a deep restraint because he knows his main purpose is not to heal physically. We see this in verse 35. It says that um, Jesus, next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And then his disciples tell him, there are all these people and they want to find you. They're looking for you. Verse 37, and he says to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus is a man on a mission, and his mission is not ultimately to bring physical healing to the crowds, although that is what he does, although that is what he cares about. That's not his ultimate priority. First Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to not heal physical bodies, but to save sinners. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus comes with a message, 
and this message is more important than the healing that he will bring. So, of course, when we are faced with reality um, and we know that there is, what we've heard is a God who cares about us, the question we'll ask is this, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you do something about it, Lord? The same heart of compassion that beat in Jesus' heart as he healed the, his mother, Simon's mother-in-law and those in the crowd, it continues to beat in this very moment. When we ask, why don't you do something about it? We can be confident that the heart of Jesus in Mark 1 is still the same heart of Jesus in this moment for Indelible Grace Church. Jesus knows your sickness. He knows your pain, your anger, your heartache, your your loneliness, your isolation. He knows your doubting hearts. He knows your self-centeredness and he knows your guilt. He knows your tattered relationships. And his heart of compassion is still beating, beating, beating for you. And I think he might be saying to us today, hold on, your healing will come. But hold on for now, because there's something else you need more than the healing that you ask for. C.S. Lewis again, um, he was confronted with this reality that his prayers went unanswered, that the desires of his mind and his hearts never came to fruition in his life. And this is the conclusion that he came to. I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? What other answer would suffice except for Jesus Christ? The Bible says our greatest sickness is our sin. The one relationship that needs mending more than anything else is our relationship with God. And what the gospel says is this, that there is a holy God And there is, the Bible describes us human beings as worms, Psalm 8. Um, There's this huge chasm. And because we've sinned, because we have tried to live life apart from this holy God, we cannot fix that. We cannot mend that relationship. There is a huge split that cannot be healed on our own. But what does God do? He chooses, he chooses to bring healing through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who took on our sin, who received the punishment for our sin. He took our punishment. He died the death that we deserved, and he gave us his righteousness. And because we have the righteousness of Jesus, because we have the the perfection of Jesus, the relationship be, uh, between us and our Father God is healed and restored. And this is the answer that we need, that our sin is forgiven, that things can be right with our Father once again. And of course, this is something that we've heard over and over and over, and it is true, and we'll always preach this at Indelible Grace Church, is that you can be right with with your God, that there is life in Jesus. But I realize that this may seem like a cop-out answer, Because what good is it when my body is racked with pain? What good is it when I'm tortured by regrets and about what may never happen and what has happened? What good is it when there is no more hope for reconciliation with that one person? And these are the deep existential questions that we all ask and that we will continue to ask. 
Is the fact that our sins are forgiven, is that enough? What would we say to that? And I think the Bible gives us answers. And this is one of them. That God breaks us in places. God will break us in places that will eventually become the places in which we testify of the goodness of God in our life. There is this um, kind of amazing story in Genesis 32. And um, you may have read it. Your children may have read it. There is Jacob. And Jacob the swindler. Jacob the, the con man. Jacob the shady guy. That should not be a part of good, moral, upstanding religion. Jacob, he is out in the wilderness. And he is... Um, He's just standing there, and out of nowhere, a stranger appears, and the stranger grabs him, and he starts wrestling with Jacob all night long. All night long, they wrestle, and it seems like Jacob will win until Jacob is ultimately overpowered. The stranger, he touches the thigh of Jacob, and Jacob collapses, and the stranger tells him, I've defeated you. Let me go. And Jacob being this not respectable guy. He says, nope, not until you bless me. He's been defeated, and he asked this stranger to to, to bless him. And the stranger asked him, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. And the stranger tells him, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is now Israel. Genesis 32, 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Jacob has wrestled the angel, which turns out to be God. And he thinks that he has won the battle, but he actually is broken. He actually falls to the ground. He actually crumbles. He's been defeated by God. And this is in this story, something that we need to cap- catch, which is this. That we will have times in our life when obeying God, when believing in God will not make sense. And we will wrestle with Him. And we might think that we have the upper hand because my pain has not been addressed. All the answers that I've been looking for have not been answered. So where are you, God? And there is God right there wrestling you, wrestling you with you. And this is what's important, especially when your faith is faltering, especially when it seems like God is not there, that you continue to worship, that you continue to worship with your family on Sundays and partaking the elements of communion and sharing with your brothers and sisters because you need to be reminded over and over and over that God is good, that God is here still, that you cannot give up until you know your blessing. Your pain and your sickness matter. And so does God. And like Jacob, we need to bring those two awful and beautiful realities into the wrestling ring week after week, after week, after week. Even when it doesn't make sense, here is a God who will wrestle you. You have wrestled with God, and if you keep wrestling, he will put his hand on the hollow of your thigh, and then you will crumble to the ground, because it seems as if you've been defeated. Your body's still wrapped with pain your relationships are still tattered in tatters you're still haunted by things that have happened but keep coming back 
and wrestle and wrestle until you crumble to the ground. Because coming face to face with God will always break you. But that's not the end of the story. God will allow us to suffer terribly, and I can't tell you why he does these things, but the Bible tells us that if we submit to him, if we submit to the authority of Jesus, he may not heal us like we want him to heal us, but he will give us a new name, just as he gave Jacob a new name. If you are in Christ, you have a new name, you have a new identity. Your body may not be healed yet. Your heart may not be healed yet. Those relationships may not be mended yet. But you have a new name. And you belong to God. And your God belongs to you. And if these are true, then you can hold on through the darkest nights. Because you know that morning is coming. Last C.S. Lewis quote, I promise you, for today. Love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. In his kindness, God may heal you. And I hope that we do see healing. I hope that we will have stories of healing in this church. But we may not get those things. Love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. We can say that our relationship with God is not one of mere transactional value. If I worship you, God, you will give me what you want, what I want. We can say that our relationship is not one of formality. I am a respectable person that goes to church on Sundays. We can say that our relationship with God is one of love. And in his love, he will make us and he will break us and he will heal us and he will make us whole. The reality for all of us is you may not be healed. And if you are healed, praise God, and you can testify to the goodness of God. But one day, your body will no longer be able to fight the infection. Your body will no longer be able to fight the aging. And you will die one day. And people will sit around and they'll recall your life. They'll go to your funeral. They'll go to a lunch after the funeral. And in two generations, no one will remember your name anymore. Your finances won't matter. Your relationships won't matter. But you will be alive in the presence of the one who will heal you. So this is our final point, that Jesus will heal. Healing in this life is a preview of what is to come. Let me end with this passage from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And listen to this. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And night will be no more. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, we want this place to be a place where people are healed. 
where people can testify of the healing power of Jesus. And we pray that this would be true, that there would be story after story as we continue on through our lives, that you are the great physician that heals the ones that you love. But if we don't see that now in this season or in this life, I pray that you would still keep us close to you, that we would still have a faith and a trust in you, because we believe that you will bring an end to the pain and the suffering that you will, we, we, we will bring in an end to the night and that we will worship you in light one day, God, with full bodies, glorified bodies, God. I pray that you would impress this truth on our hearts and that our lives would reflect it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.